0: about living in the city is the fact that i have to walk everywhere or i have to take something to get everywhere um that's more than a car and i like that because everybody else has to too and i think what i enjoy about that is the fact that i get to watch people as i I listen to music when i walk so it's not like i'm really um i mean i am paying attention to the things around me but i'm visually paying attention to the things around me um and I just love watching people interact with each other. Um, one of my favorite things that I found myself doing recently is whenever I see two people walking together and they're walking really close, um, I will be like, come on, hold hands, hold hands, hold hands. Uh, <laughs> and when they do, I'm like, oh, finally, thank you. Especially when it looks like they're like kind of nervous to be there. Like if it's like an a, a early date, in a relationship or something, it looks like that, that always makes me happy. Or my other thing that I love seeing is old couples. Um, I love seeing old couples. Um, but I also like seeing people laughing, uh, while they're walking. Um, what are they laughing at is always my question. I learned that there's actually a word for what often happens to me when I walk. It's called sonder, which means that, which is the State of recognizing that everybody else around you, people that you'll never see again, probably, have just as intricate and complicated lives as you do. Which is something that I find myself thinking about a lot because I am me, you know, and nobody else is ever going to have the perspective of life that I have. Even if I tell, even if I could remember detail for detail everything that has happened to me in my life, and I sat somebody down and I took. 19 years, to tell them each of those steps, I could not recreate adequately or with enough precision the emotional state, mental state, or anything like that that I was in or have been in since birth. Um, And I think that's super interesting because you're only ever, ever, then there's nothing you can do about it, you're only ever going to have your own perspective on the world around you. And, you know, everybody has this like main, I'm the main character, which is dumb because of course you're the main character. It's your life. It's your brain. You know what I mean? I mean, you're not the main character in the grand scope of the universe, obviously, because there are people that have come before you and there are people that will come after you. I I, I don't ever blame anybody for thinking that they are the main character. I think I'm the main character. You know what I mean? I have people around me that are characters not characters in the sense as like i can take them or leave them because there are people in my life that i desperately could not do without but there are people in my life who i don't know as much about them as they know about them i never will even somebody like my sister i'm i'm not closer to anybody in the world than i am to my sister and we've been through the majority of our lives together um but even still even having conversations where i have been clued in to how she's feeling about any certain subject i will never ever understand it in the same way that she understands it. Um, And I don't think people give that enough credit. But back to the Sonder thing. When you look at somebody and you realize that they are living just as three-dimensional a life as you are, it always fucks with me. Because I think of my life and the... um, What's the word I'm looking for? The complication of it. And to think that there are roughly 8 billion 8 billion other people on the planet who have that same experience or not that same experience and we've gone through the same things, but that same experience and the feeling of they too are living a life is wild to me. I I can barely wrap my head around what that means in terms of the scope of the world. Um, And also the crazy thing about that is that most of those people you will never, ever meet. You'll never see. Let alone meet. You know what I mean? I've never been outside of the country. So there are countless people all over the world that I've never seen. I've only been to a few states. Um, I live in Boston. I go to college in Boston. But I've only been to certain parts of Boston. I've only been to certain parts of Massachusetts. There are people who are a mile away from me that I will never meet. Um, And yet, the world... The world stage, very Shakespearean of me, I know, <laughs> ew, I'm gonna cut that, um, I'm probably not, you don't care, but I do, and you're listening to me, so, anyway, the world stage, keep it in there, is full of people that are doing stuff right now, I'm currently recording this podcast, somebody else in the world is probably recording a podcast too, um, I always think about if I am ever listening to music, if somebody somewhere else in the world is listening to that same song. Because there are roughly, well, roughly probably isn't the right word. There is infinite amount of music out there. You know what I mean? In the realm of music that was created, covers, um, genres that I know nothing about, um, genres that I do know everything about. Genres that I do know everything about, but there are songs in that genre that I still, I'm not familiar with. There's countless songs out there. So, to think that there are countless songs, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, countless people. Who's to say that countless people, that we're not listening to the same song? And that has always thrown me for a loop. Sometimes I, if I'm listening to, I wonder if they're on the same part of the song that I am, if we played it at the same time. And of course, that's like really easy to talk about if you're listening to radio. Because, you know, the radio is a frequency that multiple people can tune into. But I mean, like, I open up Spotify, I scroll through my liked songs, I pick a song, and that is the song that I'm now listening to. Is anyone else doing that same thing? Um, I think that's so interesting and a very deep rabbit hole to get into. Um, because when you think about yourself and your perspective on how things work or how things are, there are so many people who might have that same exact perspective. Um, not exact perspective, but a similar perspective. Think of all the people you could be friends with if you met everybody in the world. You know what I mean? Like if lang- if a language barrier wasn't a thing, even if it was learn a language, I want to learn Italian and French. Um, those are my bucket list languages, but I also want to go to Italy and France. So anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, if language wasn't a thing, if the language barrier wasn't a thing and there was a conference, a conference room big enough to house every single person on the planet. Think of how many people you would be cool with. Think of how many people share your same interests. Think of how many people are going through similar things as you, um, I think that's incredible. Also, on the flip side, think of how many people you would fucking hate. I hate people, and they're in my immediate vicinity. And, you know, I would venture to say that I dislike more people than I like, or am apathetic towards more people than I enjoy. But think of all the people that you would enjoy their company if you just knew who they were. If you just knew they existed. I don't know, that's one of those happy little thoughts that keeps me up at night. You know what I think is really interesting in terms of like what a person does or how a person is, is their room, their, their bedroom, um, or their house, just any space that they claim as their own. I very rarely have my room messy. Um, and that's not me patting myself on the back because, oh, look at me, my room is clean. No. Um, I very rarely have my room messy just because I like being in a space that is organized and... I like, I, ever since I was little, little, um, I had the idea of like, well, my room as a young person who does not have a home, my room is essentially my house. So how would I feel if a guest came over and it was dirty whenever, like a week ago, I had some friends who were dropping something off in my room and I would immediately when they were opening the door, because one of them has my key, my emergency key. Um, I was like, wait, 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 don't go in my room because it's not clean. There's nothing I could have done about it. And they went in anyway. Um, but I was, I didn't want them to see my room dirty. Even now, if I leave my door open to go do something in the hallway, I live in a dorm building to go do something in the hallway. I try and hurry back if it's dirty because I don't want people to see my room dirty. I don't want people to think that, and to say that, like, think that I live in squalor is dramatic. So forget that. But just, that's how I enjoy my space. I like it to be organized. I like things to be in their place when i was little my grandmother god my grandmother would always say um i would be like grandma i've lost something she'd be like well if you put it back where you found it you wouldn't have lost it and i think the trauma of being told that consistently as a child (laughs) um has made me feel that way about my room now like everything has a place um if i lose something I know I can find it in, like, one of three places. Like, I have a table next to my door that I put my keys and my mask. If my keys and my mask are not there, they're probably on my desk. If my keys and my mask are not on my desk, they're probably on my nightstand. If they're in none of those places, then I have lost them. You know what I mean? Or they're, like, in the pocket of my jacket or something like that. But I have a lamp with little slots in it. One of the slots is for my pencil sharpener. One of the slots is for my wallet. And the other slot is for my headphones. So... And if they're not there, then I only have a select few places that I can look. And then if they're not in those places, then that's when I start freaking out because I'm like, I have officially lost it. If it is not in those places that are like available to lose, if that makes any sense. Um, but I don't know, I like, for example, and forgive me if she thinks that this is me outing her, my sister's room is very messy and it's not like she takes pride in it but it doesn't bother her like it bothers the rest of us who have to go into her room when it is messy and there's nothing like, she's not a worse person for having a messy room you know what i mean um nobody is a shitty person for how they decide to keep the room it's just a matter of preference but the way she has her room i could never imagine my room to be like that not because i'm like so much mightier than now but just because that's not the space that i enjoy being in if my room is ever messy then i'm really going through it that's not the case for her sometimes she's on top of the world and her room still looks like shit. and so it's just interesting to me what that means to you as a person like who in the the cosmic soup that made you what instills in you a want to keep things the way they are um people are very anal about how they keep things Um, and I think that's so interesting because out of all of the things to be very specific about, your room, like your bedroom, or again, your house or apartment or studio or whatever, how you decide to keep that is, I can't even really say very telling of who you are as a person because what, what does that mean? It's just specific. And I like specific things about people. I like learning specific things about people because then you get to know them better. Um on the flip side of the happy, happy times that has been the beginning of this episode, I find it very interesting when people want you to like them so much um, and then do a bunch of things. Like for me, and this is speaking from the eye as it were, there are a lot of things that people do that I don't like, but they think that's not true. Rewind. Let's bring it back. There are some people who I dislike simply based on their vibe. And I do not have the want or desire to have that proved wrong. You know what I mean? Like, if the vibes aren't right, I am not going to go out of my way to get to know you because maybe I was wrong on my first instinct. Because I have come to learn that my instinct is very good. And I'm usually right about people that are terrible. Um, so, but it's interesting. It's so interesting because usually those people are desperate for you to like them and they will do a bunch of things to get you to like them, which those things always make me like you less, um, without fail, without fail, those things will make you, me like you less. Um, and so it's always interesting to me how people handle that because I like getting to know people by surprise. And I don't mean like I hate everybody until I'm thrust into a situation where I have to get to know them and then like, oh, this person's actually pretty cool. There are certain people who, the closest people in my life, the people that I find the most interesting, I have met them through nebulous circumstances. Like usually getting sat next to them in class or being in the same class. And then they do something that has nothing to do with me, but they'll tell a joke or they'll have a response to something or they'll do something. And I'm like, that is an interesting person. Or they'll talk about like what they enjo- they enjoy something. Like say they like, I don't know, uh, uh, Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. I like James Joyce and Portrait of a Young Artist. Uh, a Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man is my second favorite book tied for first with Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. Um, so if they say that, I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. That's a ground a ground zero to get to know them. And I guess this is just what a first impression is, and I'm just being very anal about my description of it. Um, but, or I'll be in a social setting and be accidentally have a conversation with somebody and then be like, I would like to continue doing that forever. You know what I mean? Having a conversation with that person or spending time with that person. um. But very rarely... Do I see somebody that I do not know? And I'm like, I want to get to know that person. I'll compliment them. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of people that I see on the street that I wish I had the courage to compliment because they dress well. Um, I saw this guy the other day. He was walking down um, Newberry Street and he had this really cool um, like vest kind of low cut um top kind of thing and i'm trying to get my hands on some stuff like that so i really liked seeing him in that because he wore it very well and i wanted to compliment him he was on the other side of the street so even if i had the courage to i wasn't gonna run through traffic to say that he looked nice so there's that but very rarely does that invoke a want to evoke invoke evoke invoke very rarely does that something oak a want to get to know them And in the same vein, if you have made a poor first impression, I very rarely, especially because, like, there's charm in being awkward. There are a lot of, I have a lot of friends that are awkward. One of my best friends is one of the most awkward people I know. I'm awkward sometimes, you know what I mean? There's charm in being awkward. But there's sometimes we can just tell that a person's first impression is their always impression. And those people... When I meet those people, I'm like, I don't, I'm all right. I don't need this anymore. I don't need to go out of my way to prove my instincts wrong that you are an interesting and not terrible individual um, because that's a lot of work and I've got other things to do. Um, but those people are usually the people who want people, and in this case me, because it's my podcast, want me to like them. And it's not that I would never like them, but it's the fact that they now have almost set themselves up for failure in my eyes, um, by trying to overcompensate for me, not very clearly not like, and and let's get one thing straight. I never mean, never rude to somebody, um, unless they deserve it to that degree. Um, I'm cordial. But I I, I I, don't want to spend time with people that I don't like. I don't want to like, spend money at like lunch with somebody that I don't like. Um, because why would I do that? I'm poor as it is. Why would I waste money on an hour and a half that I will not enjoy? You know what I mean? Um, I think that's interesting. And I think I am not alone in that. I think that I am saying it because it's kind of like a, I don't know. I feel like depending on how you say it, it can be an asshole thing to say. And I hope that is not how I am coming across in this moment. If it is, forgive me. Um, I started the episode with something nice. So, you know, deal with it. Um, but yeah, but there, I just love interacting with people because people are so funny. People are so funny, even when they're not trying to be funny. Um, like there are people who are funny because they grew up in a funny environment. Um, or because our humor is similar or because they know how to tell a joke. Their timing is really well, um, is really good. Forgive me. Um, there are other people who are just funny by nature, who are just funny because they exist as funny people. And I love those people because (laughs) I just... Love how they don't notice how funny they are. Like, that's always the best part about a person like that. When you are laughing with or at them and they are oblivious to the fact that they are the funniest person on the planet. I love, I love people like that. Again, my best friend, the awkward one I was talking about before, his name is Charlie, he is like that. He will say something and not mean it to be a joke, but it is far and away the funniest shit that I will ever hear in my life. Some of my best laughs have come from that man. And some of them, most of them aren't even jokes. They're just things that happen. And I love that. I feel like the baseline emotion of spending time with people is laughter. Well, that's not an emotion is humor. That's not an emotion either. Um, happiness is not what I mean because you can joke about things that aren't happy. Um, but I think the baseline interaction, with people is, is laughter. I think laughter makes people so feel so safe. Um, when you're talking to people on the street, um, or you're having like a small conversation, like in an elevator or something, usually it will devolve into laughter. Awkward, maybe small, definitely. Um, but usually that, that is the most people I feel like go towards laughter in a way that they don't go towards any other reaction um i think people crave laughter laughter eases a situation like if you are in a bad situation or if you're having an argument and somebody laughs that can derail the entire argument and not derail i mean in terms of making it worse but derail it in terms of of, of fixing the problem because people love to laugh that's one of the reasons why i value being such a funny person Um, And yes, I am a funny person, so I don't want to hear it. Um, But I value being a funny person because I like being able to give people that. I've been threatening to do an open mic night for decades now. Um, And of course, I cannot do an open mic night anytime soon as, you know, the world has yet to open up. But hopefully in the next few years, we'll see. Um, But because I love making people laugh. I love being able to see people enjoy themselves like that because you cannot be, you can be sad and laugh at the same time, but soon the laughter will replace whatever that other negative emotion is. And I think that is one of the best things about humanity because it's something that we can like all relate to. Laughter is, when I was talking about languages before, laughter is universal. You don't have to, I don't have to know Mandarin to be able to hear somebody who speaks Mandarin laugh and then laugh with them. A lot of the times it's just intonation. Like if I say something in a certain tone that sounds like it's a joke, people will laugh. Like I was in a class today and I said something and the person that I was talking to didn't hear me, but they laughed anyway because they could hear in the tone of my voice that it was a joke and it was a genuine laugh but they had no idea what I had said because they couldn't hear me. But the reaction of I hear joke tone joke tone, make me laugh, (laughs) um, is great. And I love it. And I think, I don't know. I think there are a lot of things, especially with just how the world can be sometimes. And when I mean can be, sometimes I mean terrible with how the world can be sometimes and how it can take a toll on you as a person, how it can take a toll on me is what I'll say. Um, finding things to latch on to like that, make it worth it. I can be in the worst rut um, or depressive episode, but if I talk to somebody, like if I talk to my sister, for instance, she lives across the hall from me when I'm at home, if I'm not feeling well, sometimes I'll just go in there and talk to her and she will make me laugh. And then I will take a break from being sad because I am enjoying laughing with my sister even if it's not even her, even if it's not even somebody that I have a relationship like that with. I just love laughing with people. You get to know people based on what makes them laugh. You get to know, you get an insight on who they are as a person based on what makes them laugh. And I think that's really unique because it's different. It's not the same for crying. Um, One of my favorite, not even one of, my favorite movie of all time Something's Gotta Give, starring Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton, circa 2004, directed by Nancy Myers. Um, Great movie. Absolutely brilliant. I cry at the end of that movie almost every time I watch it. And I cry not because I am sad, but because I am happy. And that's the thing about laughter, or that's the thing about weeping or crying that is not universal. You can cry because something makes you happy, or something makes you wistful, Or something makes you, or you're surprised by something. Like if you get a car for your birthday, you could cry. Um, You can also cry when somebody dies. You can cry when you stub your toe. You can cry when you lose your credit card. You know what I mean? Crying is a a multilingual, by lingual I mean like emotionally, linguistics, emotionally lingual, God, words today, just not working, um, is an emotionally charged thing, where laughter, is almost a base emotion i keep saying laughter is an emotion i know it's not but roll with me you kind of only laugh when things are funny even when things are awkward and you're laughing you're laughing because it's awkward and that awkwardness is funny even if it's like a deep down part of you that knows that it's funny if you're in an elevator i worked in a movie theater when i was in high school um and i would count throughout the day when i was taking tickets how many times i would tell somebody to enjoy the movie and they would tell me who's not going to see a movie you too i'd be like you enjoy your movie and they would tell me you too and their reactions to that first of all were hilarious a lot of the time people would like be like shit, or something like that but a lot of the times that would accompany laughter because they know that they have done something awkward and they know that awkwardness is funny in a social setting and they will laugh at themselves for that and i think humor and laughter is a is a one-stop shop. You laugh because something is funny. Even if you don't know why it's funny, even if you're uncomfortable, you laugh because something is funny. And I love that that is such a clear thing. That is such a clear thing that people do. People laugh because something is funny. And laughing just, oh, it is, it warms my soul so much. If I, I just love laughing. Sometimes I will listen to a comedy special and not think the joke is funny, but hear the crowd laughing and then laugh with them because their laughter infects me and makes me feel like laughing too. Um, I think, and also l- laughing. I was talking to, um, or it was, a uh, something that my girlfriend said that made me think about this. She was like, I was with two other friends and her and she said, it's so confusing to be in this environment because of the, you know, the like psychological thing where when you laugh, you look at the first person you look at in a setting when you're laughing is the person you care most about, essentially. Like if you're in a group of six people and the person across from you is a person you care about, you will laugh and instinctually look at them. She was like, I don't know what to do in this situation because the three of you, me and then our two friends, are the people that I look at when I laugh. So I don't know who to look at because I'm laughing so much, but you're all the people that I look at and I only have one pair of eyes. And that's the other thing about laughing. It connects people like that. Like if you love somebody and you laugh and you look at them, you are now sharing that laughter in a way that the rest of the group is not sharing. And I, I don't know. I could go on about laughter forever just because I have, I've always been like the funny guy. Um, I was the class clown and that was a whole thing in like elementary school. And then I was kind of like the smart ass when I was in high school. Um, but I just loved watching people laugh. And of course it was a detriment. It was a distraction 90% of the time. Um, But I... I don't know. It was such a... And to make somebody laugh is another thing. Like to like somebody or to love somebody or to care about somebody. And to say something that makes them laugh is one of the most rewarding things in the world. My dad, it's very... It's not hard to make him laugh. But it's hard to make him laugh for real. And whenever I can make him laugh for real, I'm like, yes, I have done it. You know what I mean? Because I like... It's almost like a challenge. Um, it's almost like a challenge of connectivity in terms of a relationship where I have made that person laugh and we are now better for it. We are now better because I have made them laugh. And that's how I go about relationships. If I want to be friends with you, I will most likely try and make you laugh first. That's, how, that's also how I flirt. Comedy is how I personally flirt because I like being able to make you laugh. When people are like, I really want a guy that's funny, I like being that guy because laughter is such like a an easy emotion. And when I say easy, I don't mean like an easy emotion to have, but there is such an ease to how you feel when you're laughing that I want to be able to give that to you. That's one of the reasons I started the podcast, um, which actually takes us into our questions for this episode, um, but I will only get to that I will get to the questions after the break. But this is a question that I recently got. They were like, why did you want to start the podcast? I want to start the podcast because I like making people laugh. I like making people enjoy their time. I also like talking, if you could not tell by now. Um, I like talking, and I like talking to people. And although nobody's talking back to me, honestly, when I'm in a group of people, I don't care if anybody's talking back to me. That's how much I talk. Um, But I like being able to make people laugh. So making something tangible that people can listen to and laugh, at or with makes me happy. Just the thought of knowing that that is a thing that is happening makes me happy. Um, yeah. And so with that, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back with questions and advice. Stay in tune. Shabbat shalom. I don't know what day you're listening on uh, to this podcast, but fingers crossed, it's the Sabbath. Uh, we're up on our questions unnamed, um, says I'm constantly running on zero and I devote all of my time and energy to others. I've noticed I have this problem where I'm constantly finding toxic people who need to be fixed or helped as a way to avoid my own trauma. Now I have somebody in my life who is not toxic. They have their own issues and traumas, but they never talk to me about them or put them off on me, which is a relief, except I feel like they are doing it because they don't want to overload me. I don't want them to feel like they can't talk to me And every time I approach them about it, they tell me that they know they can talk to me. I just don't believe them. So that's a twofer. For the first part, when I was in high school, I had this affliction where I would find a girl who was in no way right for me um, and be like, oh, well, I can fix her. You know what I mean? I can make her right. Wildly unhealthy. Um, My father referred to it as the crass term of Captain save Um, and because I always wanted to, I had like this knight in shining armor complex, like you're going through something. Let me help you through that thing. Um, which never worked. Um, and uh, anyway, um, so that is not good. And I'm glad you unnamed recognize that it is not good. And it is a way of avoiding your own, all the stuff you've got going on. I think there comes a time where you have to be a little selfish Um, because I get that that want is a quote unquote selfless want. I want to help people because it makes me feel good and it gives me a chance to avoid what I'm going through. But you have to be selfish and take time to work on you and work on what you're going through. I keep bringing it up, but RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? And I think that you want to have somebody do that for you. That's, what, I, that's my, what my thing was. I wanted somebody to reach out to me and help me. And so I would find somebody who needed help and be like, well, help is usually a reciprocal thing. So maybe if I help them, they'll help me. Never happened. Um, and it, didn't, it wasn't supposed, it was never going to happen. Um, but now you have somebody in your life who is not toxic. They have their own issues and traumas, but they never talk to me about them or put them off on me, which is a relief, except I feel like they are doing it because they don't want to overload me. First of all, nice to know that you found somebody who's not toxic. That's very important. Um, Life is a long and dreary road, and to surround yourself with people who make it worse is not good. So for you to have found somebody who makes it better, um, is good, and I'm very happy. I'm very happy for you on that front. Um... However, when you're in a relationship, I'm assuming this is a a, a romantic relationship. I don't know I, I don't want to I don't want to assume like that. Um, I'm going to go, regardless of what kind of relationship it is. A relationship is only as good as its communication. And part of that communication, although not all of it, is sharing what you're going through. If you keep something bottled up it will manifest itself in a negative way at some point, which is never good. Um, so if you if the person in question is not talking to you about what they're going through, then you need to talk to them about how that makes you feel. Um, and I get, I get their want to not overload you. Um, and that's a commendable want. You know what I mean? Um, I never want to overload people with my trauma either. Um, but I think that there comes a point in a relationship where you have to kind of lay everything out, um, on just lay all, lay all your cards out. You know what I mean? This is what I am going through. This is what I have gone through so that that person can know you better. And it's not, uh, I want to know all this person's secrets so that I can X, Y, Z, but it's, uh, what have you gone through that has shaped you in such a way? Because I want to know what that thing is. And I want to know how I can contribute to that healing process, if at all. Sometimes you can't. And that's also fine. Sometimes they just have to go through that on their own. But if they are not talking to you, if they say, first of all, you sometimes have to take people at their word. If they say they know they can talk to you, they know they can talk to you. And they just don't have anything that they need to talk about right now. We all handle trauma differently i handle trauma by joking about it um i handle it by being if i trust you enough i will make a lot of self-deprecating jokes about the things that i've been through um because that is how i cope with it um some people just don't talk about it and not in an unhealthy way of their stewing but they might be working just working it out by themselves Not everybody advertises what they have gone through. I think nowadays it is somewhat glamorous to vocalize and publicize what you've been through. And that's not the case for everybody. And it shouldn't be the case really for everybody. Um, So the person in question here might be one of those people. And they know they can talk to you, but they do not need to talk to you right now. Um, When my sister is going through something at this point in our relationship, I will ask her is this a conversation where you want my advice or is this a conversation where you just want me to listen to you? Um, Sometimes she wants my advice. Sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she just wants me to shut up and be like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, I get it. I understand. Um, But on the flip side of that, sometimes people don't need to bring things to you at all. And that doesn't mean they don't trust you. That doesn't mean they don't care about you. That just means how they handle that thing is private. And you also have to respect that. Now, If you want to help them, you can bring that to them and be like, hey, I know you have been through things and I do not know what those things are. Or I know you're going through things right now and I don't know what those things are. And I know that you say that you know you can talk to me whenever, but I would like to talk to you now about these things. If they say no, they say no. And you have to respect that. But also, given your previous track record of trying to find toxic people, you have to be very careful that you are not trying to dig too deep to find toxic things about them so that you are more comfortable. I, personally, am dealing with the unease that comes from a relationship that is not toxic. Um, Because I'm so used to it. I'm used to... The other shoe dropping. You know what I mean? I'm used to things are going too well right now. What is about to happen? Like what terrible thing is about to, or what terrible thing I'm about to find out that very well may never come. And I have to, instead of worrying about when it will come or if it will come, I have to, I am training myself. I am relearning how to enjoy what is happening now. And so in that same vein, you have to be very careful not to Try and crack away until you find something to run from, if that makes any sense. Um, Until you find something that you can now make a project. You know what I mean? Um, Because then that will ruin a relationship. And I I understand what you're going through. You know what I mean? Uh, But I, I I would hesitate to try and pull that trauma out. Not trauma. To pull out whatever it might be that they're going through. Um, because, like I said, sometimes people don't need to talk about it. And sometimes you are better off not not knowing, but not being a part of that for that person right now. There are some things that you go through that take time to become public. Um, and eventually they might. Eventually they might not. Um, but it is not your responsibility as the other half of this relationship to fix something that they are not advertising that needs fixed. You know what I mean? As my dad always says, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but if the wheel is not squeaking and you grease it, you're wasting grease. You know what I mean? You're over greasing it. And that is not good for a wheel. I, I'm not a mechanic, so don't hold me to that. Next question from Azithoth. Azathoth. He, him pronouns. Azathoth says, Dungeons and Dragons is make-believe for adults. Why has it made a comeback as of late? What's that psychology? Well, Azathoth, I am not a psychologist, but I love Dungeons and Dragons. I am a big fucking Dungeons and Dragons nerd. Um, when I was in high school, we started playing. We had no idea how to play it. Um, so we were just making things up as we went. We literally only used the d20, and if it rolled higher than a 10, you succeeded. If it rolled lower than a 10, you did not. Um... But Dungeon Dragons is make-believe for adults. And I think, uh, well, I don't know. I think adults like to make-believe. I, I don't think that that's something particular to kids. I think it's more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more acceptable, maybe? I don't know if that's the right word. Um, for kids, you know, because kids are kids and they've got all the time in the world to make-believe and, and fuck around like that. I love Dungeons and Dragons because it's a great improv exercise. If you literally listen to me right now, if you are an actor, try and get into at least a game of Dungeons and Dragons because how? Because you basically become a character, and all of Dungeons and Dragons is improv. Oh, it's so great! It will greatly help your improv skills. I promise you that. Um, but I I don't think that there's a psychology for it. Um, and I don't necessarily think there is a a resurgence of it like that. Um, I think Stranger Things obviously helped um, the resurgence of Dungeons & Dragons because people like doing the things that they see on TV. You know what I mean? People like doing the things that people they like to look at are doing. Um, <clears throat> so I think we can owe, you know, we in the Dungeons & Dragons landscape can owe, owe a lot of that to um stranger things but i think that Dungeons dragons is just a fun game and it's scary at first because it looks a lot more complicated than it is um but you just kind of have to have somebody around you who enjoys dungeon dragons and is willing to teach you non-judgmentally about it um and then you'll have a blast I, I don't know. I've always, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I have the people, the group of Dungeons and Dragons that I have back home is probably the last, like, um, group, last little cabal of types of people that you would ever think would play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, there's, uh, I have a friend who is a, like, six foot three, 200 pound football player. Um, I've got a fashionista in our group. Um, we've got, uh, a New Yorker Latina who, well, she goes to college in New York, but she might as well be from New York the way she is on the regular, um, who loves Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we've got a golfer who loves Dungeons and Dragons. There's me. Um, there's Charlie, who I have mentioned previously in this episode who loves Dungeons and Dragons. So it, it brings people together in a way that other games do not because Dungeons and Dragons does not have to be specifically like Lord of the Rings. It can be anything. I ran a Dungeons & Dragons campaign that was set in like a film noir setting. It was set in a a city where it was like always raining and it was in black and white. And that was really fun. Um, I've played games of Dungeons & Dragons that are set in a sci-fi setting. You know what I mean? In in space. Uh, In the real world. You just play people who happen to have swords and fight monsters. Um, And I think that... I think to say make-believe for adults discredits two things one, assumes that it is somehow wrong for adults to make-believe, and two, or that make-believing is not for adults. I will always hold fast that creativity and imagination is a universal trait, regardless of how old you are, regardless of where you're from, who you are. That's that. But also discredits the fact that Dungeons Dragons is not just, I don't know, I feel like to say make-believe for adults minimizes, and this is not admonishment um towards you, I'm not mad at you for how you worded your question. Um, I just think that it's it's um, it would minimize what Dungeons & Dragons is, if that makes any sense. In my humble opinion. Next question is from an individual called NupTup. They said, Firstly, I want to get this out there. I love this for you. Thank you. And I just want to give my support and love for this project. I'm curious to know what made you take this on. We've covered that. Um, And I'd like to hear your thoughts on motivation. I guess right now I'm struggling with finding inspiration to do the things I thought I enjoyed. You know when you do something so much you just can't stand the thought of it anymore? I guess that's what's going on with me and that's probably what a lot of people I know are working on too. Even you, I'd imagine. Any insight you have or tips you'd like to share on how you keep yourself motivated and productive? Love, love, Naptop. Naptop, first of all, adorable fucking name. Um, Motivation is a very interesting thing because I like to... I um, I would hesitate to say that I'm a very productive person, but I'm a very motivated person. And I think it's okay to be one or the other. Um, I am productive at night. That's when I do a lot of my work because I do not sleep very often. Um, and I am, but I'm only motivated to be productive when I feel like that, productivity is going to be productive if that makes any sense like i do not take time i do not like square away an hour and i'm like i'm going to write poetry for this hour um, if you did not know i am also a poet um a very good poet i might add um i am i don't say it is 10 a.m from 10 to 10 45 i am going to write poetry that will that has never and will never work for me Because I am motivated by inspiration, which is another thing. If you are, motivation is a very nebulous topic or term, I feel. I am motivated by inspiration. When I am inspired by an idea, that is when I am most motivated. And when I am most motivated is when I am most productive. Um, If I get the idea, usually how I write poetry is I will get the idea for a line, the first line of a poem. And then I will open my notes app or take out my notebook and start writing. And just toss things that match that line and that emotion or that scenario. If I have a picture in mind, I will sculpt that out in a poem. But I don't write poetry to... And this is the thing. I think in the arts world, people think that you have to be continuously making art in order to be considered an artist. I think I talked about this last episode a little bit. I do not write poetry to meet a quota for the amount of poetry poems that I write. I write poetry when I am inspired to write poetry because that is what art is. Art is fueled by inspiration. Um, So I am motivated because I know that the final product will be good. And I know that I will enjoy the final product because I have been inspired to write it. Um, So I think you have to think about that. I, I, I don't want anybody to think that you have to just be doing something. Because usually that something is going to be bad not usually, a lot of the time that something is going to be bad. If you are like, well, I am a poet, so I have to write a poem today. I think you can practice writing a poem. You know what I mean? I think I can practice, like, walking down the street. I can be like, this rhymes with this, this rhymes with this, this rhymes with this. So that I have that knowledge in the back of my head when I go to write a poem when I'm inspired. But I, I, and this is just me. And you asked me, so this is my opinion. I cannot write something for the sake of writing it. I write something for the sake of what, it in, what has inspired me to write it. If I'm looking at somebody and a feature of their face strikes me, that will inspire me to write a poem. Or if I'm going somewhere and I hear something, I hear somebody sigh in a way that inspires me, that sets something off in me, I will write a poem about that sigh but i could not write a poem about that sigh if the sigh never happened you know what i mean and i do get what you mean when you do something so much that you can't do it anymore that happens to me a lot but mostly it happens to me with things that are busy work um and i would hate to suggest that your work your art is busy work um or whatever work you do is, is is busy work um but like if i am not doing anything and i will play video games i will start a game play for 15 minutes close that out, start another game, play for 15 minutes, close that out. I'll just be going through the motions to take up time. So that is what I what I think of when you say that. The things that I enjoy, you know when you do something so much you just can't stand the thought of it anymore. I get that. The things that inspire me though, I cannot necessarily say that for. I, this year has been very difficult because it has been mostly online. And an MFA or a BFA in musical theater was never meant to be online. If anybody told you it was, they're lying to you. You should punch them in the mouth. Um, So this year has been difficult for me because a lot of what has been going on this year has been online. And that has not been fulfilling for me. Acting online has not been fulfilling for me. But we're doing a scene right now in my acting class that is invigorating me to want to do acting again almost it's reminding me why i wanted to choose this as a career because i love doing it and so i think i think for this year for this time of quarantine whatever emotion you're feeling in terms of inspiration or motivation i think you are allowed some reprieve on that because it is so difficult to be energized when nothing is happening it is so difficult to be energized when you know you have to spend the next seven hours on zoom doing an art that is tactile and, uh, emotional and like beat after beat, like the lag on zoom sometimes, or the fact that it's hard to hear when you're speaking over somebody that's hard for acting. That's hard for music. You know what I mean? Um, it's hard for visual art because you can't touch or see a painting in the detail that you imagine it. Um, I feel like it's, it's probably easier for a class, like, I don't know, like business or statistics or something like that, but even still, the, the the environment of a classroom is not the same on Zoom as it is um, in real life. It's just not. The, the, the ability to turn around and talk to the person behind you or to raise your hand and the teacher to lock eyes with you, recognize that you have a question, and then answer that question is not the same on Zoom. And you can't blame anybody for it. It's the world we live in right now. And it's nobody's fault that we live in this world. But... Um, I, yeah, so that would be my insight on, on that topic. I love, I, I think that you should be inspired first and foremost. And I know you say you're having, you're struggling with finding inspiration. I get that. Inspiration, usually for me, falls into my lap. If you go, I don't know, a watch pot never boils. You know what I mean? If you look around searching for inspiration, you might not find it the same way. If you were just existing, and inspiration arrived. You know what I mean? I always think of inspiration as something that arrives, not something that you get. Um, Or if you do get it, it is gifted to you in the midst of of a situation. Um, So I would, but I get what you mean, struggling to find inspiration. I absolutely do. Especially when you're not really doing anything right now, which is what I was talking about with the reprieve. If you're not doing anything right now, where are you going to get inspiration from if nothing is happening? Um, But I don't know. For you, Neptup, I would say stay on it. Um, Keep thinking about what it is about the work that you do that you find fulfilling. Um, Focus on that. Focus on why you love it. And don't worry about the quantity or the frequency with which you produce work. Um, Worry about when you do produce work, is it the work you want to have produced? That's what I would say. We're coming up on the hour. Um, which means that the episode is coming to a close. I wanted to thank everybody for listening, not only to this episode, but to our inaugural episode, Maiden Voyage, from last week. Um, It was a great start. I was very happy with the feedback I got, Um, and I would love feedback as you listen to this episode as well and as you continue to listen to the rest of the episodes of my little podcast. Um, As things go on, I'll try and find some sort of forum type setting where we can have, build a community around this podcast. Um, I would like that very much. Um, if you go to the link in the Potify Spotify, Spotify podcast information, you will find the, uh, Google form that you can fill out for sending in questions, um, things that you want advice on comments, um, that you have for me or for the show. Um, uh, I, record these throughout the week usually after i've gotten a good amount of questions to advise um so you've got time you've got time until the next episode um to fill that out if you would so like to it is anonymous if you would like it to be um not anonymous if you would not like it to be so all of that is up to you new episodes every friday at midnight on the hour um recently um or On Spotify, Google Podcasts, most places where you find podcasts. I'm still trying to get it on Apple Podcasts. Um, But in the meantime, I want to thank you for listening. And remember, I have no idea what's going on.